Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Happy that you're all here today. Um, One of my favorite parts of this time of year is not necessarily the cool weather we're enjoying today. but it's watching all of the bulbs that were planted the previous season pop up. I don't know if any of you enjoy that. Uh, Specifically, think about tulips and daffodils. And um, it's always fascinating to me that those are the first ones usually that you'll see in your yard. Some of you probably have green thumbs, which I've already admitted to you that I do not have, right? But usually some of the very first things besides weeds and goat heads that pop up in the spring are bulbs, right? Tulips, daffodils. But that takes a little bit of planning too, doesn't it? So we get to the springtime and, and it's a sure sign that, that things are changing. And I always like the just juxtaposition. Sometimes you'll have, you'll have daffodils or tulips that are up and then we'll get a late snow and they'll still be sticking through the snow. It, it's a beautiful reminder that we may get a spring snow here or there, but spring is coming, right? I mean, and, and on some level, almost nothing can stop it because we know this is simply what happens in our world and those bulbs are a reminder of that. But it takes a little planning, doesn't it? At least the previous year. So at the end of the previous year, after you're sick of, of mowing your lawn and spraying for weeds and, and trying to fertilize things and all of that, you have to be thinking ahead to the next spring. So I'd maybe argue that maybe more than, than necessarily other plants, those bulbs force you to say, not what am I doing right now, but they force you into a mindset of, what do I want it to look like then? Right? They make you look forward to what is coming. There's a lady named Jean Bauer. Uh, she lived in California, real near the San Bernardino Mountains, outside of LA. And uh, I know we've got some Californians that are here, so maybe you've even visited her place. But Jean Bauer, uh, at least up until uh, 2010, had become pretty legendary in the LA and kind of metro area out there because she had a garden that for three weeks a year was the most spectacular thing that you could ever see. Three weeks a year, she would open up her property to anyone that wanted to come and you drive there, it's about two hours outside of LA. So about two hours east outside of LA uh, in the shadow of the San Bernardino Mountains. But she had an incredible daffodil garden. And not just like a few here and there, like tons and tons of daffodils. And so every single year she would open up her property to anyone that wanted to make the trip out, get out of the city and just see daffodils fields and fields of daffodils. 
Almost hundreds of thousands of daffodils would all bloom at the same time. And so you can maybe imagine just what you would see as you, as you exited LA and, and the metropolis of that and you got closer into the mountains. People have described the scene of turning down a, a, a gravel road. She's got a small chapel, a small church on her property. And then looking at just the fields of color each spring. Just endless daffodils, different colors, yellow, white, reds in swirl patterns all over her property. It takes some planning, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of effort. And in fact, when people would come, um, it was just open to the public. So Jean didn't sit there greeting everybody, but she had a simple sign. And it, it said this, three answers to the questions that you're asking. Here's her answers. 50,000 bulbs. Okay. Yeah. So how many were there? 50,000 bulbs. Second answer. One at a time. One at a time by one woman, two hands, two feet, and a very little brain. So that was her second answer. Third answer to the questions that everybody was wondering began in 1958. Okay? So daffodils and bulbs, on some level, at least planting-wise, make us think ahead. Jean Bauer had been planting bulbs and daffodils since 1958, right? As of 2010, she finally retired. That was the last year that you could go see them. But her planting produced beauty and joy in the hearts of hundreds of thousands of people that maybe didn't even know who she was because she chose to do and to plant something that was going to bear fruit years in the future. I think that serves as a pretty good illustration for what we're going to talk about today as we celebrate Ascension and as we talk about the responsibility, the privilege that Jesus gives to us as believers. He calls us witnesses of his death and his resurrection. That absolutely has impact. So we're going to talk today, and our theme is going to simply be one at a time. Our text today um, takes place, as I mentioned earlier, 40 days after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. And so in the, in the spectrum of the church year, Ascension is actually one of the bigger holidays that we celebrate. Uh, next Sunday, we're actually going to celebrate what we call Pentecost, right? Pentecost is a big one. Uh, so Pentecost takes place 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' ascension is 40 days after Easter and after, after his resurrection. And so today, that's what we get to celebrate. So 40 days ago on Thursday, we got to worship our Lord and celebrate Easter Sunday. If you were here with us, um, it was a beautiful Sunday morning. It was warmer than it is now, <laughs> right? We were so blessed to have it. But I think we can also ask ourselves, what's the ongoing impact of Jesus' death and resurrection in our lives and in the hearts of us as believers and followers? And if we want a little insight into that, all we have to do is look at our text here today. Jesus is about to physically leave his disciples. So these are his, his final words to the founders of the early Christian church. So he gives them kind of uh, his parting shot, his parting words on what he expects of them after he's physically gone. 
He does the same for us here today. There's three things I think that can help us as we understand our, our privilege of planting faith and witnessing one at a time. So three areas that I want us to look at. Um, the first is, is that our faith, your faith, Christ and everything that he did isn't just a story that somebody made up. It's not something that we just kind of plucked out of the ether somewhere. It's not something that someone had said, hey, this might make for a great story. But number one, it's based in fact and it's based in God's word and specifically prophecy. Where God said, this is what will take place. So number one, when we talk about planting faith, when we talk about sharing our faith or being witnesses of Christ, it begins in God's word. But secondarily, it takes you. (laughs) It takes witnesses of Christ's death and resurrection. And then last, we get to be joyous as we do it. So those are the three things we want to look at. If we want to plant faith, if we want to share our faith, if we want to, to call ourselves followers of Christ in the word as witnesses with joy in our faces. So let's jump into our text. You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. I'm going to start by reading uh, verse 44 and 45 and, and uh, we'll look a little bit at, at what Jesus is speaking to them right off the bat. So, Beginning with verse 44, Jesus says this. He says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So understand exactly what Jesus is doing there. So I don't don't know that he was chastising his disciples, but this might have been a gentle encouragement that he's already told them this stuff before. Okay? Because notice how it starts out. This is what I told you while I was still with you. So Jesus is saying, this isn't a secret. These things that I've told you are not hidden. You're not just finding this out for the very first time. And we ask ourselves, why would Jesus have to be kind of building on that foundation? Well, here's the reason. Because do you remember how often the disciples absolutely forgot why Jesus was on the earth? Far too often. (laughs) Right? In fact, in our selection from Acts, right, they, they said, Lord, are you now going to bring about the kingdom of God? You know what they were still waiting for? What they still were yearning for? An earthly kingdom. A revolutionary, a leader that was going to kick the Romans out of their country. And so on some level, Jesus is remarkably patient with the apostles and the foundation of the early Christian church. It's almost as though he's saying, you know that we've had five or six classes on this, right? Right? He says, just as I've told you before, this is what must happen. But what's here interesting here is Jesus says, not only have I spoken it to you, but it also was written. See, he points them back to something concrete and something tangible in, the, in God's word, specifically the Old Testament. He says the law of Moses, Psalms, or prophets and Psalms. That's a shorthand way of, of what the Jews would call the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Torah. And so he says to his disciples, not only have I spoken this to you about what's going to happen. So if you trust me, I've literally told you, but you have another source to go to to make sure that what I've told you is accurate and is true. 
You can look in the Old Testament. You can look in the, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of, of Micah, and you can go to the book of Psalms, and you can see these prophecies that pointed towards a Messiah, a Savior that was going to come that would fix the brokenness that we all see in our lives. And so when we consider our lives as believers and our witness, here's the reassurance you have. It's not based on how eloquent you are. It's not based on, on how good you are arguing with somebody about the validity of Jesus Christ and Christianity. It's not based on, on how good looking you are or how ugly you are or how old you are or how young you are. It's not based on you at all because what you get to do is get to point people back to something that is objectively true and that they themselves can go and read and find. You get to point them back to the pages of scripture. That's a comfort for us as individuals, but also for when we witness our faith. We have objective truth on the pages of scripture about what would happen and what in fact did happen. And so you have the word, right? But second of all, Jesus now says, you're witnesses of what's happened. Let me go on in verse 45 through 47. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You know what's kind of interesting about that section? Is it says that he opened their minds to this fact. And that's a little bit hard to wrap our minds around. Like what exactly is Jesus talking about here? That he opened their minds to what he was saying to them. And, and I don't know that we need to get super deep and philosophical on what's happening here. I think Jesus is simply saying the work of the Holy Spirit in your hearts has opened up your minds to placing your faith and your trust, not in yourself, but in a God who chose to take on human form and sacrificially die on the cross. So really what Jesus is saying here is, is um, he has opened their minds. He has opened their hearts and their faith in Christ is all that they need alongside the word. He calls them witnesses of his death and resurrection. And they absolutely were. Ascension 40 days afterwards, you know what Jesus did for those 40 days? He taught, he preached, he made appearances, he reassured those in Jerusalem, both believer and unbeliever alike, that he had in fact died and risen again. In short, he made witnesses of the entire city of Jerusalem and the apostles and the early Christian church. The truth is he's done that for you as well. That's why we're here. That's why you are shaking a little bit in cold on a construction site listening to the word of God expounded because you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because you are just as much witnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection. That God looked at our broken world, at our broken lives, and at our sinfulness and said, I will not kick them to the curb or cast them aside. 
But in fact, I will enter into their lives, into their history, into their world in order to lift them from that brokenness. That's what you're witnesses of. A savior that has loved you, loved us enough that he willingly laid down his life on the cross for us. And so you have the word. You absolutely are witnesses of who Jesus is. But then listen to the last portion of our text. Let me read for you uh, verse 50 and 51. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. And verse 52 and 53 is probably the key here. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. How did they leave? Jesus had just left them. They would no longer see him face to face any longer. But do you notice what characterizes their return to Jerusalem? They were pretty happy. The text actually says great joy. So it's, it's kind of a stacked, a stacked uh, um, um, wording there. So not just joy, not just happiness, but they returned with great joy. And not only that, but they put it into action. They were continually praising God. They went back and worshiped Jesus. That's the reality of what we celebrate. Does Christ make you happy? Maybe that's a loaded question from a pastor on a Sunday morning when you're sitting in front of me. Like none of you are going to be like, nah, not really, right? Yeah. But here, here's the thing. I, I think it's a question that we ought to ask ourselves once in a while. Does the message of Christ that your sins are forgiven bring you joy? Do you show it? (laughs) Do you share it? When others look at you and know that you are a Christian and that you show up uh, to a construction site on Sunday mornings, do they know that you are doing so willingly? Not because someone twisted your arm. Do you find joy in your Lord and Savior? Do you find joy in being together with fellow Christians? Do you find joy in our shared mission of sharing Jesus Christ with people who do not know him and are lost and hopeless without him? I think it's a valid question for us at times to ask. Because I'll speak for myself. There are probably too many moments where I, as a follower of Christ, as a witness of who Jesus is and what he's done for me, show anything other than joy, right? And if that's the case, let's take these disciples' example as a good reminder of exactly what you have. Your sins are forgiven. That incredible truth does not change. Your sins are forgiven. And I pray that that brings joy to your face and that brings hope into your lives. And I pray that it does so to such an extent that you are willing and that you desire to share that very same joy and hope with those who don't know of it. Because really that's the marching orders that Jesus gives to his apostles and that he gives to us as his witnesses and as his followers. And do you think they did it? Do you think they shared Christ with joy in their hearts and on their faces with their world. 
I'll tell you what, they absolutely did. You want to know why I know? Because you wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. Because you do not die for a self-help book. You do not give up your family or your livelihood for a fancy story. You lay down your life and you share the good news of sins forgiven with joy in your face because you know that it is true. Not only was it true, but it has affected and it has changed the hearts of generations of believers all the way to today in Firestone, Colorado. And that's the joy we have to share that exact same faith and forgiveness with the next generation that is before us. Today, we're going to get to look a little bit at some of our building project stuff, carpet, windows, things like that. You get to watch a construction scene and, and all of this is fun and it's phenomenal. But to be honest, we can worship and we ought to be sharing our faith no matter what building we have or we don't have. No matter what color or carpet we pick, no matter what the, the cabinetry is going to look like, no matter uh, um, what surroundings we are in, do you know the privilege we have is you have the joy of sharing Jesus Christ with this community. That's why we exist, not to build a building. We exist to share Christ with a community that desperately needs to hear who Jesus is. There's no better job in the world, brothers and sisters. No better job in the world than that, than to be able to share that hope with the next generation. We will be, here's my, my prayer, that we are dead and gone. And this, but this building remains and it continues to share Jesus Christ with generations that come after us in this community. What greater joy could we have than that? Than that your kids and your grandkids and their kids will know who Jesus is and the forgiveness that we have in him. It takes a long-term outlook to do that. Remember Jean Bauer and her daffodil garden? There's a story about uh, that daffodil garden about uh, a mother and um, her kids and, and uh, her grandkids actually. And um, I tried to verify if, um, who the name of the mother was in this story. I couldn't find that, but I've seen it shared several different times. But um, she invited her mom to come out from LA to see the daffodil garden. And her mom wasn't super keen on doing that. It was about a two hour drive. And she woke up in the morning and she looked outside like you all did. And uh, it was gray and it was cloudy and there was a few drops of rain. And she was just like, I just, I do not want to make that drive because I don't think that's anything spectacular. Um, but she decided to get up anyway because she had promised her daughter and she wanted to see her grandkids, right? So she said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to drive out San Bernardino Mountains. She gets out there and, and her daughter welcomes her and her grandkids throw their arms around her. And her daughter says, now we got to go see We've got to go see this. We've got to go see the daffodils. And, and the mom said, no, I don't know. We don't need to do that. It's, it's foggy out. It's a dangerous drive. Like, let's just, let's just stay home. Let's not do it. The daughter was insistent. Said, mom, we've got to do it, <laughs> right? It, it's only 20 minutes away. I'll drive. We've got to do it. So the mother said, okay, you drive. You get us there. 
and they drive out there about 20 minutes away and they come onto that gravel, that gravel road. Um, they pass that small little church and they get out and they start walking over there and the mother still is kind of down on what's happening here. But she comes around the corner and there it was. Just daffodils as far as the eye could see. And a tear came to her eye for a couple reasons. Number one, the incredible beauty of what she was seeing, right? A tear came to her eye because she, she almost missed the beautiful thing that, that was right there in their backyard. But she also was a little bit sad. And her daughter asked her, he said, why, 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 do you have, why are you crying? She said, well, number one, it's so beautiful. But number two, um, imagine what I could have done if I had started something so small so long ago like Gene Bauer did. And so there was a little bit of sadness, maybe a little bit of regret there. Her daughter looks at her and says, Mom, what Gene did was what Gene did, but you have lots of time left. And her mom was still kind of down about it. Said, I, don't, I, don't, I wish I would have started in 1958. And her daughter simply said this to her, how about you start tomorrow? I think it's a good reminder for us, no matter where you're at, start tomorrow. Plant the seeds of faith. Share Christ and his forgiveness. Not only for us as an organization in this community, but with your neighbors, with your family members, with your spouse, with the people that God has placed into your garden and into your lives. What a joy we have to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to share that faith and to do so with joy on our faces. Amen.